Welcome to the Shades of ABA podcast with Adrian and Tiana. And today we have some quite a few lovely guests today. Tiana, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take the reins on this one because this is this is near and dear for you. So today we have some beautiful women that are BCBAs in the field. And you guys know over the last um, well, at this point, almost the last 11 months, anytime that we do an episode, I somehow managed to wrap the fact of like my daughter into whatever we're discussing. Always relevant, um, but it happens. And <laughs> today we are speaking on being on motherhood and being a BCBA and just our experiences within that, how companies have worked or not worked with us and just those those wonderful, wonderful moments that we have just went through. So we're going to go through, introduce ourselves and just state, of course, your name, your role within your company, and then the number of children you have and their age so that, you know, we can see the different perspectives that we are having within this conversation today. I will start, you know, you guys know me, I'm Tiana, and I have an almost 11-month-old daughter and I'm a regular schmegler BCBA um, <laughs> who happens to do a few other things. Um, Shades of ABA podcast, I'm vice president of BABA, um, and I just working and learning. Awesome. Awesome. I am not a mother, so we're going to take a back seat here, but I will call on the next person. Um, Jamie, let's, let's, let's hear from Miss Jamie. Okay. My name's Jamie. Um, I have one daughter. She's going to be 17 months old tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be for three years. I've sort of stepped away from paid work and I'm doing the stay-at-home mom thing, which was, uh, and I'm enjoying it, which is a surprise to, to me and um, everyone else. <laughs> but that's, that's my thing right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, Miss Danielle. Hi, I am Danielle Beal, and I have been a BCBA since 2014, but have actually been serving in the field since 1998. So yes, I am uh, the big sister of the group. I'm often coined the seasoned um, clinician, and currently I own, co-own and operate an agency in LA called Loving Hands Family Support Services. I am also finishing up my doctorate degree in clinical psychology. Um, keep it coming. Keep it coming. <laughs> it's coming. Um, and hopefully if these people can act right, I will graduate in June um, with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm very proud of that. I am currently working with trauma survivors and incorporating um, ABA methodologies into the treatment that I'm providing. I also um, am immensely proud that I serve on the BABA board as the secretary, and I am just learning and loving and living and really re-examining who I am as a clinician, as a mother. I have a 22-year-old daughter who I was pregnant with when I started the field, Um, and so I count my years in the field by how old she is, so she will be 23 in June. And then I have a four-year-old who is turning five in June. And so we love, we love. And Miss Danielle also forgot that she's a best-selling author. Oh, I I did forget that. Thank you. I don't know how I forget that. I've been 
inundated with with drama. But yes, I just um, co-authored a book called Phenomenal Woman, um, where this makes me emotional. A bunch of women got together and um, told their stories about their insurmountable journeys. And I was asked to be included in that. And we made Amazon's number one bestseller list. I am a published co-author and I am kind of navigating that journey as I've started to tell my personal story of trauma and triumph. So yes, yes, yes. And and Latoya, I'm going to let you follow that introduction. (laughs) yourself up there. Y'all so disrespectful. I feel like such a peasant. There's <laughs> nothing I can say. I mean, I feel like a straight up RV that just no. started two weeks ago no, after that. No, no. You don't bring that negative black energy over not here. Whoa, not no. Flowers, flowers. We are, we These are, you are goals, okay? We are a collective, sis. We're a collective. Well, my name is Latoya Mosby. I started in the field in 2012. I was supposed to be a... Um, licensed family and marriage therapist. And um, I was at the end of my uh, grad program, like in May, and I was working at Sprint. And I was like, I just need to get something in the field. You know, you got that psych degree, don't nobody really want to mess with you. And so um, I saw this post that was like, uh, ABA therapist, I had never heard of anything behavioral before this. So in my mind, you know, let's take me out of the field and condition me to a regular human being who's never heard of ABA. When you think of therapist, you're thinking of like a counselor uh, or something like this. I was like, dang, you telling me I can be a therapist without taking a certification test? Man, I'm on it. Um, and so I jumped into this job and I could not look back. It was in-home ABA. I was an ABA therapist. Um, It was just perfect. You know, like everything was flawless. There was these amazing controlled conditions. The parents were all supportive. That was a different type of ABA back then, I will say. I feel like even though we were doing paper data, even though, you know, we weren't getting paid gas to go from house to house, and we also didn't have enough hours to survive, the, the quality of therapy in that time was different. Um, it was just so much, it was just, it's just effective treatment. Um, but anyway, on the other side of that, I mean, I couldn't clearly survive with that salary. So I had to quit um, and get a job that could uh, do something with my Sally May bills that were coming because I had just graduated school and my company was like giving me 12 hours a week. Like, oh, we'll pay you $23, $23 an hour, but you're working $12 a week. No, ma'am, my bills came. Okay, so I ended up quitting um, and becoming a parole officer of all things, a parole officer, um, and decided to get back on track to do my license in marriage and family thing. But it, that lasted a year. I was just like, you know what, something's calling me. I want to go back. So in 2014, I decided to come back into the field, and I was a um, a behavioral intern or did my entire internship at a state residential facility, which was completely different from what I had experienced before. But because I had such a great foundation, like I, I thrived in that role. Like it just made sense. Um, and, but it was just toxic. It was the state, you know, you're working with the state, you're working in, the, in a, a residential facility, the plus size with working with adults, I mean, in a, in a facility like that, you have everything on hand. Like, I'm sorry, y'all rambling. Long story short, um, I worked at the state school 
Uh, when I got my BCBA in 2017, I left the state school and I became, I started working at my first clinic. I'm not going to name the clinic, but they definitely, um, they treat you like BCBAs, like cows, like you got to hit those hours. It was a clinic from California. When I tell you they didn't care about how many kids you had, I had 36 kids, 36 kids, because in Texas, we had this HSC grant at one time. And when we had the HSC grant, those kids could only get and it's still active right now, but those kids could only get like uh, six hours of therapy weekly and then two, uh, two hours of parent training monthly. And they would be on the program for six months at a time. And so with being on that program for six months at a time, it would go back and forth. Long story short, um, they didn't count each kid as like a whole kid because it was like comprehensive parent training. But it still took a lot of work because these kids were Medicaid kids and didn't have any services. So they needed more than what we were actually giving them. And I ended up having like 20 kids on that particular case. Wow. And, And then in addition to that, I had kids in Louisiana, a whole caseload in Louisiana. Because I was licensed in Louisiana with this company. I know you're like, what? And then I had uh, two regular full-time kids in my on my regular caseload. And they were complaining to me that I wasn't billing enough supervision hours. And, you know, we're going to talk about that as we talk about motherhood, right? Like yeah. the demands of this job and depending on what company you work for, right? So Burnout. we're going to be putting companies on blast today. Are we putting companies on blast? No, I I don't want to. I ain't putting no companies out there. I'll tell you what they do and what to look out for. Ain't nobody coming for me. But long story short, I mean, of course, I got burnt out. They were like, oh, you know, you're not building enough hours. We're going to write you up. But this is a... This is a way to, uh, uh, a, a performance encourage. action, you know, encourage you to show you that we're going to train you on how to, how to build, you know, 125, 140 hours with no matter how many kids you got, you know, it's like, it was some dream. It was like some brainwashing stuff. I left. Okay. And then I went to another clinic that I felt ABA is where it goes to die. That's the best way Damn. to explain it. If, if ABA has a place that is supposed to die at, it is that clinic. They didn't do anything. They were still doing paper data and they were doing cold probes. I lasted six months, got out of there. Went to another clinic, verbal behavior clinic. Anyway, as you can see, I went through a lot of crazy clinics. Are you a mom during I just became a mom. This is Uh when I wasn't a mom. I don't think any mom in mom world could work a BCBA schedule in the capacity that I worked until this year. I feel like I can finally do ABA my way. I have my own company. It's called the Behavior Toolbox LLC. Um, We are a small private ABA company. Um, The name of our model is we're doing ABA the social way because all of our programs focus in on social communication because um, autism is a social communication disorder. It is not just a language disorder. And a lot of clinics get that wrong when they focus on verbal behavior. And then we have weird teenagers that don't have friends and are suicidal. Um, So I just keep that in my entire concept. So, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to get that baby off the ground and I'm so glad to be here. I'm going to stop rambling. Please edit that as much as you need to. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> and, you, and you were worried about following up. Oh my goodness. Hey. Here we go. <laughs> um, Miss Ashley, do you want to go next? I knew I was going to be next. Listen, I ain't had that much experience. I'm just going to say that right off the beginning. Um, I have been a BCBA since 2018. So about three years. Just like Latoya, I did not think that I was going to be an ABA. I did not know what autism was in 2014. Um, 
So I went to Michigan State and I was a nursing assistant for seven years. I really thought I was going to be a nurse. Like I was the bomb nurse assistant. I love people, but I just wasn't good at science. So um, I went through Michigan State and I ended up changing my major. And I said, well, whatever, I'm going to go back and do nursing um, at a different school. So I graduated from Michigan State. I went to Eastern for a little while, retook some classes and a company called me and they were like, hey, we see you. I did end up getting my degree in interdisciplinary studies, uh, focusing on health and psychology. So a company called me there and said, hey, do you want to work for us? We do autism. Um, we work with kids with autism. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Y'all probably don't want me. It was probably an accident. They was like, oh, we see psychology on your degree. So I said, and they told me how much they were paying. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was out of college making like $10 an hour, like working at a mental health group home, just doing just whatever. Um, so when they told me how much they were going to pay me, I said, I'll learn whatever, what autism is. I will learn. And one thing I will say about my journey that I'm very grateful for now that I'm where I am is that I have always had phenomenal supervisors. And I know that that is not anything to take for granted. I was working at a company company that people will probably say is the worst company in Michigan, probably, probably worst company in the world, you know, but the supervisor that I had was amazing. And I, um, I remember the first kid I had engaged in, you know, behaviors. And when I saw them go away, I was just like, this, this is it. Like, whatever this is, this is it. And so I changed my major. I stopped doing nursing and I applied to the Chicago school. I just wanted to just go somewhere. So I went to the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. I got into my ABA program. And there I worked at the same company the whole time I was there for um, going on three years, so like two and a half years. We did not have a clinic. And so the first place I was at, um, we did have a clinic and we did do in-home. And then when I did my whole practicum, we only had school and home. So I, that was a different for me because it was like a lot of, I would go to my supervisor's house and be working on reports at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I think doing that and having her be so open with me is what showed me that this is not a nine to five job. Like they're going to pay you, you know, more than a, a salary for a nine to five, but just best believe it's not a nine to five, you know? And as I have a child now, I realize, yeah, this is not, this is not go in somewhere and come out, you know, it follows you. And so I'm happy that Doing my practical experience in Chicago, I did have that. I actually worked for the company was was ran by Lady of the Jewish Community. A lot of our clients were Jewish. I worked in an all boys private Jewish school, and man, was I happy to have cultural competence! Like I was happy that I had that background because it was different. You know, um, I didn't dress how I wanted to. I remember I got pregnant when I was there, and I had to even wear a fake ring. You know, so but I really loved my job, and I understood like how sometimes you have to make changes within yourself, you know, for the job. So I learned that. That's when I was pregnant with my son. I have a three-year-old and I came back home because I didn't know nobody in Chicago and I needed to come back home. So I came back home and I started working for the company that I'm still with now. I passed my exam in 2018 and now I am a supervising board certified behavior analyst like everybody else. Um, Had a couple of practicum students, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome, awesome. Um, And then we have a returning guest we have Miss Trisha. Hi, Trisha. Hi. Um, I don't know how much I went through last time, but um, yeah. I'm Trisha. I have been a BCBA since 2014. Um, I've started in the field in 2009. I feel really young, but also uh, seasoned. Sometimes, it's like mid-seasoned. I actually started as a 
as a physical education teacher. My degrees are in uh, kinesiology and exercise and sports science. I got pregnant with my son, Liam, while I was um, in Utah doing a PhD program in exercise and sports science at the University of Utah. And we can talk later about how I got from exercise and sports science to ABA and autism, but um, he was born October, 2014. He's now six. And then I have a daughter named Lila who is four. I, I was a BCBA before I was a mom. And I will say that that uh, at becoming a mom changed my practice in a lot of ways. And then um, I've also spent some time um, like Jamie doing uh, the stay at home mom thing um, and, and doing some part-time work, working as a BCBA and part-time being at home. So I feel like I've, I've done a, a little bit of all the, the different ways of, of being a mom and a BCBA and working a lot of hours, working full-time and trying to be a parent at the same time. Well, I am so excited to, to kind of dive into this conversation. Um, one of the things that I think has, has happened over the last year during this pandemic is that people have gotten more understanding to working moms um, and maybe not understanding, but more hit to what I'm, what a, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a, Adrian, I'm going to cut you off right there, okay? I think what? it depends on if the person who is supervisor or a company owner is a parent themselves. Because if you are not a parent yourself and having to experience these things, you're just like, oh, let me know what you need. But you still don't know how to accommodate those needs. Like, I need my client assignment just so I can pick up my son. Or That's like, <laughs> like they might be able to mentally understand, they don't like, understand. Oh, that must be hard. But until you're in it, you have oh, you know, yeah. motherhood no came through no like idea. a thief in the night. It can, it can still kill and <laughs> rob your joy. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. And, and the craziest thing, like, like you want to be a great mom, I want to breastfeed, you know, I want to do all these things that, that they I talk about. I want my child to daycare. I don't want like, my child to go to daycare. I want to be a mom. And then they be looking at you like, so when are you coming back to work? So I have a little different experience because I came into the field pregnant. And so my first like interview, I was like seven months pregnant. And so there was this, you know, I didn't have to have any discussion about, you know, what the expectation was. I had my first baby. I was working in home. And because I was an independent contractor for a regional center back then, we didn't even have agencies like we do now. There wasn't ethics. There was the board was just becoming established. So when I say I'm old school, I'm very old school. In fact, I'll just share this in this context. Um, Parents used to hire the therapists and they used to train um, the therapist. And so I, I, that's how I kind of came into it, but I had the baby and I had a newborn and I was doing DTT while I was nursing Oh, would pump in the house. I literally had, and then I had my brother who I adopted, who was 11, um, that same year. So I'd be nursing doing DTT trials or like rocking her with my foot in her car seat. And my brother was like doing homework in the corner of the room. So I had a very different experience. And then when that company who was providing supervision for that family opened up their agency and started hiring employees, I was their first employee. And it was like, this is what you get. Like I have two children. I was 19, 20 at the time. 
Um, and literally I would be in meetings, like in the corner pumping. I had this big, like, I don't know if you know, like 20 year old, I think it's Medela or Medula. I don't remember the name breast pump, but it Medela. was like Medela. Thank you. Still make it. It's still huge. It's well, I, I got a smaller one for, with this pregnancy. It was like this big, but this one, it had like a carry strap. It looked like like the ones um, in the hospital. You're gonna need like a massive, like yes. And I can hear it, it going. Yes, it was a massive suitcase. And you're like, touch card. Yes. <laughs> I'd be in like meetings in the back of the room, like pumping or in the back of like, because I was going to school too, in the back of like a lecture hall pumping because I didn't have any other choice. Like my daughter was with me or my brother was with me. And so I was constantly having to navigate those spaces. So I had, and I didn't have anyone else. I was a single mom. I didn't have any family. So, um, and, and that's just always been something that it was like, if you want me, then this is what you have to deal with. And so that it was a little bit different for me. Are any Danielle or anyone here, a single mom, Ashley, me, Trisha. Yeah. That, that brings a whole nother layer. So different layer. layer. A whole yeah. different layer. You kind of um, were touching on it, but Ashley and Trisha, how has it been being in this field and being a single mom on top of all of that? Um, well, my, my son's father lives in Chicago, so I'm like a single mom, single mom, like, you know, and but one thing I will say is like my family and my support system is bomb, you know, like I've had the same best friend since I was 10. That's my son's godmother. And so pretty much like, you know, like when I moved from Chicago, it was so sudden. My son was six months. Um, I didn't even have a place to stay. Like I was staying with my best friend and her husband studying for my exam that I'll be, they'd be up at, I'd be up at four in the morning. They'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to study. Like, you got to go to work. I'm like, I got to do both. And now I just went to sleep, you know? So um, it was, it was a lot, but I will say like, I've always had a good support system to help me when I need it. Um, but in the beginning, like I, I couldn't afford daycare. And so, you know, I came and my cousin, she actually volunteered to watch my son for like $150 for every two weeks. That was like heaven sent $150 for two weeks. And he's, and I used to work like until seven thirty seven, but I would drive an hour and a half every day. It was just something I had to do. But one thing I will say, you know, like every company has its ups and downs, but one thing I will say that I probably gave my company is one day the CEO of my company came in and he said, Ashley, like, I heard that you drive an hour and a half every day to get here and to go get your son and you never late. And I'm like, looking at him like, well, yeah, I need a check. <laughs> like, you know, like that's what I'm supposed to do. What I don't got no choice. Like I got to be here. And so he was like, he told me that there was a couple of like a clinic opening really close to me. And he was like, you know, I appreciate that. And for that, like when, if you want to go there, you can go. And I was like, that was such a relief off of me, but also it's like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I feel like it's probably only 10% of moms in the company that I work, that are, that are moms in the company I work with. Like there are a lot of single, I mean, I mean, not single, they're married maybe, or maybe they don't have kids. Young and not. Or if they do have kids, they're married. When I tell mm-hmm. you it's probably seven, maybe single moms in our whole company of like 400, something like, you know, like, and that's, that's the, I don't, I don't know if that's the culture. That's just what it is. But at the end of the day, like that's, so to be on the same work ethic and work page as people who I know y'all don't have kids. And if y'all do have kids, I know y'all got somebody in your household helping. Um, that was kind of one of the things like, okay, like 
I need to be in a place like this because to have been doing that drive and not ever have it relieved, I probably wouldn't have even made it. Like I probably would be depressed somewhere in somebody's clinic. I don't know. Well, Ashley, I want to like add to that because I'm so glad you have that experience. I was carrying that same burden, but I couldn't talk about it at work. And I couldn't because I was you know, like my mom had, so just a little, my mom had died and I had, I was in the process of adopting my little brother, which people knew about, but he was still going to school in Victorville and I was living in Long Beach. And so that was like an hour, depending on traffic, it would be like three hours. And so I was like struggling, right. Getting him to school. I didn't want to move back to Victorville and I didn't have that support. So a part of my reflection now, as I look back on that time was I was carrying the responsibility of having to show up and all of my drama, right? Like everything I was going through was drama and not having the support of the people that I was working with and having to kind of carry that. And it deeply affected me. Um, Mm -hmm. It made me resilient AF. Um, And now like, I understand that that's tenacity and that's grit. And, but I'm so glad that you have that because it makes a difference in just your self-care and your mental health. But Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to add to that too. Like, I just think at the end of the day, the journey of motherhood is one that is a rude awakening and not in a sense, I don't want to make it negative. Right. Cause motherhood is beautiful. Um, and I know like we're talking about a lot of stuff that isn't like really uplifting to the the thing about being a mother, but it's the sacrifice that it's like, um, it's, it's, you don't understand it until you become a mom how exhausting it is to be full-time with your kids and present and also go to work and pretend like they're not draining everything from your waking living body and be performing like nothing, right? And then add the layer of this field. We're going to go work with somebody else's kid. Yeah. Trisha, um, what's a little bit about your your experience? So um, I'm more recently single as a single parent. I was married when I had both my children. Uh, my daughter was about one when uh, we, we split up and um, I, I was in somebody's hospital. I was, I was depressed. I was in a psychiatric hospital three times um, so during that whole process because of the fear of how am I going to do it? How am I going to be the single parent to these two kids um, without this support? without this everyday partner. Um, but I, I, I felt like I had to get out of that situation. Um, so it, it was a lot. And yes, it does build uh, tenacity and resilience to go through uh, that kind of stuff. But as far as I, I've had to kind, to kind of navigate the field and make it work for whatever my situation is at that time. For example, the pandemic hit, my kids are now home. And I need to be at home with my kids, right? Like, um, so I had to find a position that allows me to be at home with my kids while they're at home doing virtual kindergarten, virtual whatever. Um, when I had my son, I took off and I was uh, I was living in Utah at the time. So I'm, we're the only black family in all of Utah, I felt like. And I did not have that support system around. Um, it was just my spouse and my son and I, and I took off. Um, I made a lot of good friends there and I worked and I was a a stay at home mom, but it was a situation that just didn't, it didn't work for, for me and my mental health in that marriage. 
And so I had to come back home to Texas where I have family. And then that that kind of pushed me into working in a clinic setting. And, and that was a whole new thing. And now I have to put my, my son has to be watched by somebody and I have to, um, trust other people with my kids. I was a breastfeeding mom and then I got pregnant with my daughter. It was just uh, a lot to navigate. And now I was, I will say since I've gotten to experience being a married mom uh, with a partner, an in-home partner and working full-time, like that definitely was more manageable and uh, easier to do than, than single parenting um, and working full-time uh, without and like more recently now, I just, I hire support. My son, thank Lord, is now in kindergarten. So he's in public school. So for all y'all with kids five and under, you know, you're like, oh, I just count down days they can go to school. But then even then you're having to think about the school that you trust your kids to go to and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I've, I've um, had to pay for a babysitter to come in. Um, to And I I'm, I have a hard time with trusting people to parent the way to, to take care of my kids the way that I like and treat them the way that I I treat my kids, which is very respectfully and consciously. So I uh, I have somebody come in. So if I'm working from home, I can hear how you how you're, how you're responding to my kids and how you how when they make a mistake, how you um, how you okay. respond to that and treat them yes with dignity and respect. But I it's hard to to know where you can send your kids. So that that added stress. I mean, I feel like jobs, they they feel like they're helping when they say, just let me know what you need and uh, just let me know what I can do for you. Sure, you can pump or sure you can bring your pump to the office and things like that. But they don't, they don't understand all that goes into that sacrifice that we're all making to be there, to be present. It was like Latoya said, somebody else's kid while I'm, Sometimes it feels like you're like abandoning your own kid to to go care for somebody else's. And, and with me, all these kids become my kids. Like they're all my kids. I feel for every single and when they they become my client, they're like one of my kids. And um, and so I I'm I'm up at night thinking about how to how I want them to be treated and what what um what I want to do for them. And and so it's a lot. I become a, a BCBA mama to to 12, 14 kids, including yeah. my own two. Yeah. yeah. When I did go back to work, I went part-time. My entire motherhood so far has been in complete isolation. My daughter was born in October of 2019, or December 20, October, December of 2019. Um, and I returned to work part-time three days before the global pandemic was declared. And then I got furloughed. And I... I had postpartum anxiety and postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder and it was so hard. And then to be home with a baby where you feel like every day is groundhog day. And I'm like, I'm never going to feel good again. I'm never going to feel good again. This sucks. I hate this. I hate that I'm hating this because I wanted to be have a baby for so long. And then you're like, Oh, work, I'll go back to work and everything will be kind of normal. And so I was really like looking forward to returning to work to get some sense of normal mm-hmm. and then to immediately have that kind of like snatched out because I was furloughed. And then I got called back to work in September. And in all that time I had, you know, I'd been to therapy and going to therapy and everything like that. Um, I had worked through a lot of it and was feeling better. And when I returned to work, I was like, 
part-time. I can do this, but I, I couldn't. I, I actually liked being at home, which was weird because I had a deposit on daycare paid for that kid before I even had her. Um, <laughs> and I, it shocked me that I, I wanted to be home. That had never been something I had ever thought that I wanted or that I, I mean, and I'm, I don't know, I don't know if I'm necessarily good at it, but I enjoy it, which is shocking because I really thought I needed to be with my clients. I need to be with my work babies, you know? And uh, so it was, but it was still a hard decision coming back. I came back, I lasted two months and then I was just like, I, I can't, I can't do both right now um, because I was starting to see my anxiety shoot back up. The obsessive compulsive disorder was starting to come back. And I, I'm just like, I can't, I gotta look out for the kid who's the most important to me right now. And it's this one because I can't just write a, I, I, I can't just, I don't get a redo on this one. I yeah. can't, you know, consult somebody else or anything like that. But it was, I mean, and I guess the postpartum mood disorder just completely blindsided me and then to be in therapy and I've never I mean gone to therapy but like not not like I don't know the way I did for this was like hardcore therapy like you know and then working through all the other issues then so that I could just be a mom with slightly less issues I guess because <laughs> we all just have them running in the background right but um but yeah so and then I, I guess just nobody has seen me be a mom, you know, like I went on maternity leave, none of my coworkers, you know, they threw this beautiful like baby shower for me and I was so excited. And then I never took her to work because the postpartum anxiety was so bad. I couldn't, I, I couldn't leave the house. You know, I was so freaked out about leaving the house, freaked out about driving with her in the car, freaked out about everything. So I never took her in, no one ever met her. And then the pandemic and now we don't, we don't go anywhere. Like the doctor will ask me, (laughs) the doctor's like, does she have separation anxiety? I'm like, I don't know. I don't leave. (laughs) Does she, how is she when she meets new people? I'm like, I don't know. She meets you and me in the pandemic. (laughs) Oh no, we don't leave the house. You know, I wanted to like, to, to kind of validate, well, the postpartum, like the blindsided, right? Like I was so hyper aware of like postpartum depression, right? And so I was like, let me prevent like the depression, the depression. And when the anxiety came up, I was like, why am I freaking out about like these normal things that the, the, the car drives and, and so all my life, I, all I've ever wanted to do was be a mom. And I've been a mom now longer than I was a human before I was a mother. Um, but my dream was to like be at home and just raise babies. Like that's what I've always wanted to do. And so for the first time, my spouse was like, you can stay at home. Like I've got this, this is making me emotional. I always get emotional. And I was thrilled for that opportunity. Um, and then I was at home and I was like, who am I if I'm not a clinician, right? Because I've been a clinician and a part of my healing journey has been to serve. And when I didn't have that and I didn't get the um, reinforcement from the children and, and affecting change. And, you know, my husband is like not giving me praise and my flowers and he's not like, you know, rolling out the red carpet for me. Like you can, you know, like how we access at work sometimes I was really struggling 
And so I decided to go back to work um, and I was offered um, to be a clinical director. It was remote, like she understood that I had this baby. And then the day I was supposed to start had like a panic attack, like I never had before and quit. And she was like, what's going on? And I didn't even know what was happening. I didn't know that what I was experiencing was anxiety. And I just kind of ghosted her. Um, and then once I found out about the diagnosis and kind of could work through my feelings, then I had to like go back to her so that I didn't sever, you know, that relationship and burn that bridge and apologize and explain. Um, but it was like a shock. Like you said, I didn't know what was happening. I thought I wanted to go back to work, could not do it, ended up staying off for a year and a half before. And then in the process, it started loving hands and went back because I still needed an income. Um, that was a disaster. I stayed for two years, um, at a very large organization. We all know, I won't say, um, but they just weren't supportive and I could not manage my anxiety, um, and the demands of being a new mom. And I just could not decide, do I want to stay home? Do I want to work? And I couldn't balance the two. And that was very, very challenging. So I understand like, and I'm validating every word that you said that, um, it's not uncommon that I went through almost the exact same kind of having to navigate that. One of the things that I'm kind of seeing as a theme is that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Latoya, you kind of said it a little bit earlier. Um, Everyone kind of has gone through their own set of trauma in relations to motherhood. Um, as, As beautiful, Latoya, like you said, like motherhood is beautiful, right? But also it seems like there's not enough space to talk about the trauma and for it to be okay to talk about um, the postpartum anxiety and the depression and the Jamie, you being a mom, having postpartum depression and anxiety, not wanting to leave the home and then COVID, like literally leaving the home can get you killed or, you know, leaving the home, you might not see your mom and dad. And then Tiana, and I, and I know it on a, on a different level, right? And however much you feel comfortable, you became a mom during a pandemic. In, during the pandemic. During a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You moved from Michigan to Texas, but neither one of you had said, have said, I had a, a easy pregnancy, a easy no. time. A I was easy- literally going to mm-hmm. comment on that. You know, so, like I take ADHD meds. And I already just have anxiety. This is before pregnancy. This is me walking in the world. And I have, I didn't realize I had anxiety and um, ADHD until I was an adult. It was just, you know, and it's just, it, the way I talk about it. And I love talking about mental health with my parents and my, my, my everyone, because I feel like if you understand mental health, you can be better for your child. Um, and it's just like with autism, it's not a problem until you hit a threshold where you can no longer function with it. And as I became an adult and I was trying to pass this exam, I hit this threshold where my ADHD was like, bro, I'm not writing these treatment assessments. Forget that. You know, I can't I can't focus for you. And I could not even focus a study for the exam. Uh, long story short, going through that, I learned about my anxiety. I learned my depression. I got it med- under control and medicated. And my husband, you know, we got married and I was like, oh, we're going to have a kid. Whoop, whoop, can't wait. Um, I feel like he was trying to get pregnant. I was just having sex. Does that make sense? <laughs> so, 
you know what I'm saying? Like I was just, I don't know how to explain it. Like, so when the baby came, I was in denial. I was, you know, I felt like a teenager on prom night. And mind you, when I started this job, I was, I had was working at that clinic. I told you where ABA goes to die. And that's the, the first thing happened. Let's talk about this dynamic. So I'm at a terrible clinic. This is context. You know what? I'm just going to put this before. Editor, don't cut out my. Located. all context. It's context. Okay. Um, when I was working at this clinic, this clinic, they were taking paper data. They were doing code probes. And um, they had no documentation of anything. I started and the clinical director who was supposed to be the clinical director quit before I started. And there were no other BCBAs. They were lucky to hire three BCBAs um, that all started in the same month and promote a a BCBA from another location to be the director. So we kind of had a fresh team, but writing their clinical assessment was the hardest thing because they were using central reach and I could not find any of the documentation because they were doing paper data and they wanted me to figure out what to write on here. I said, ma'am, I can't make this up. I'm giving insurance what I got. Now, if you want to put something else on there, you can put whatever you want to don't put my name on it. Okay. So I'm going through this time. They keep sending you back with these edits. So it's bringing my anxiety up because I don't know, you know, it's already, it's stressful to do reauthorizations. You know, you got all this stuff going on. Now I need to do this assessment and do all these treatment plans. And I need to do a reauthorization and I can't find no data for this stuff. I just met this kid two months ago, boom, randomly. So I started that job in, in September. I got pregnant in November. Okay. And I felt like a teenager on prom night. I felt like I was going to get in trouble because <laughs> I wasn't ready. I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. I didn't even know my ovaries work. Uh, here's the point. So here's the point. This is what led to my issue. So because I take ADHD, I take anxiety meds, I had to stop taking them um, because you cannot take the um, amphetamines while you're pregnant. And you the anxiety medication can cause all of these alleged issues. So I went cold turkey in November. No medication. Um, no nothing. And I'm still working at this job. I'm like a couple of weeks pregnant. And now I'm coming into this job that was already stressful with all my medications. And as soon as I get in here, I don't know how to even focus. I can't sit. I can't attend. And I'm worried about trying to get through my work. Um, So that led to my pregnancy being very terrible. I had antepartum depression. And so what antepartum depression is, depression before the baby. I was so depressed that I didn't know I was depressed. I didn't talk about my pregnancy. I didn't want to do a maternity shoot. I didn't care about the baby shower. I wasn't even prepared to do anything baby related. Um, And the job environment was so toxic. It was like they didn't even care. And I was going through this other crisis that I think is really important to talk about as a career woman is I could not conceptualize how I was going to be the BCBA that I've been, this time-consuming BCBA, working at these companies that take all my time. And I wasn't even where I was in my career to be able to be that mom. I, I, I had to mourn the loss of who I was before I had the baby. And so throughout the entire pregnancy, instead of me being happy and joyful, I'm in mourning of who 
of myself. I knew that I, I just felt like I was dying and I knew something else was going to come on the other side, but I also have like my anxiety and, and depression is an adjustment disorder kind of thing. So now I'm going through this entire adjustment where I can't even like be present. And um, it wasn't until May. So March, I left that company. I only stayed there for six months, went to another company that was supposed to be the verbal behavior clinic. Um, and they were, I told them I was pregnant. They knew I told them I was stressed. I told them, they told my husband was like, maybe you shouldn't work. And I was like, no, I want, I want my daughter to know that working is good. And I want to be, you know, want to make these roles and be this example. And I told them, I really don't need anything stressful. I just left something stressful, you know? And they're like, no, we got you. We got you. We're going to put you on this easy home and you're going to do da 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 I get in there and they give me the most difficult unit in the entire clinic they were going through, you remember if you're in Texas, um, I think it was United Healthcare came through and did those audits. They were going through the United Healthcare audit route and they were basically busy. I got no training. I got no nothing. The therapists were a bunch of uh, entitled. Anyway, it was just a really toxic experience. And it led me into literally being morbidly depressed in May. I was in my OBGYN's office crying. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I said, I've been crying for the last couple of days. I don't know what's going on. And she just gave me a hug and was like, we're going to start your anti-depression meds because you just, you can't handle it, you know? And that's what they tell you when you're on those meds. Really, it's about, it's about the person. If this person can, can could go without, then, then, then don't do the meds. But if you basically fall apart the way I did during my pregnancy, it is recommended to be on the medications because your health is the most important health. Like how can I give a great pregnancy or deliver anything if my child is going through a stressful pregnancy because of me in this morbidly depressed state? Um, and so long story short, I was antipartum depression. Fast forward, I had the baby and then I didn't even know what postpartum anxiety was, right? Because we only talk about postpartum depression. And just like we were alluding to earlier, it was this strong, sharp sense of alertness of like, it, it was a searing need to like, like, do I don't do everything, right. be present, don't sit. It, it's, it's almost like, but it's still depressing at the same time because you're unhappy. It is so much torture. Like I, it was, I wouldn't even, I couldn't, my husband was like, you know, my mom came over and was like, Hey, let's go for it. Let's just do, give us a break. And I was like, I don't, I don't need a break, you know? And it's not that I didn't want to leave my baby. It's just that I couldn't. And, and, and I got in the car and all I could do is like, okay, we got to get back. 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 And I, and I thought that was normal. Talk to my OBG about, about like my, and you know, what was going on? She was like, it sounds like you have postpartum anxiety. So we're going to, you know, start you back. I mean, increase your medications. Da, 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 woo, woo, woo. I mean, I said all that to say that, you know, the pregnancy journey in itself, like not giving this field any type of thing, like for any human being, it can be complicated. So then you add these layers. And, and I think the thing is, we have to start preparing ourselves to transition into this motherhood thing better and preparing moms who say, Oh, I want a baby. And, and I don't want you to say, I'm saying this to scare you mentally prepare your yourself to be a whole new human being and be okay with it. That is the transition. And I feel like if I was more prepared before that, I probably would have been a little bit better. 
Thanks. Well, and I think that's the key. Uh, I think that's the key is that we have to talk about it. Like I never heard of postpartum anxiety before I was diagnosed with it. Right. Mm. And we don't have these discussions like no one, you know, and you hear like, I remember hearing Brooke Shields talk about the images that she had in her head after she had a baby. And I remember being young and being a mom and not having experienced anything like postpartum depression to that severity at that time and thinking, why would she say that out loud? Like, why would she tell people? Right. Because it's so taboo. And I think that's the key. And I think, you know, goodness, like when I had the the episode about mental health and was so thankful for a space where we can talk about what it's like to be a healthy clinician or to be doing all of these good things, but carrying this weight of mental health that we never talk about because the stigma, the stigma is so heavy. Mm-hmm. And so I think conversations like these are essential for just educating young women, young black women specifically, because minus the the stigma that is attached culturally, we don't seek treatment. Culturally, we are carrying generational trauma and we're having to break generational curses and we're having to become educated in ways without the support of our community. And so I think that's why these conversations are so vital for our success as mothers. That brings me to something that my, me and my line sister were talking about the other day. We were having a conversation and she was, um, huh? What are you? You can't tell? I didn't want to say. Stop playing with me! Oh, God! Soror's in the building? Hey, it's the goal hey. for me. Just knew you was about to pull out something else. How many oh, swimwear I got on table? Yep. Yep. Let's see, SG Rose. I don't even know what I was talking about. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. Sorry about that. Can I just pause? Like, I love Black women. Okay. And Jamie, I love that you're experiencing this as well. <laughs> That was a whole level. That was some for the culture. I told y'all we gonna have some for the culture moments. But as let me soon as I, I saw saying. the yellow, I was like, oh, she's in a sorority, the same one as Tiana and Ashley. That's so funny. This and the, is and the this pink is, and the green. And the, yeah, I know. That's so funny. This is Black Joy personified. Just as a as an operational definition, this is Black right. Joy personified. Yay. So I'm glad that we have the royal ladies of Sigma Gamma Rho represented in this field and on this podcast because our sororers I've been trying to connect we got to connect after this I have another soror that owns the clinic in Dallas we need to connect oh we have another soror so anyway I was talking to my line sister and um she was talking about her as a mother raising kids and my line sister is one particular human being I mean entitlement to its fullest it's annoying to be honest how entitled she is But one thing she brought up that was so important and her entitlement that was so valid too, for us as Black people, Black women especially, is that um, Black people are not taught that we are entitled to have things. Even as children, most parents, there's this concept that we, we shouldn't advocate for why we deserve things because that's talking back. I feel like this is a slave mentality and not necessarily a direct result of how we parent. We parent how we were slaved, if that makes any sense. Um, and so um, a lot of that drips into our, our culture and, and there's no sense of that we deserve better. You know, you get what you're going to get. Stop arguing, stop talking. 
And so we grow up to be these adults who don't have this sense of entitlement like our counterparts do. And this sense of desire to seek for more and seek and know that there could be difference. Um, And I say all that to say, when we come back to this mental health conversation, Black people are disproportionate in that rate that we are conditioned, since we're behavior analysts, from the beginning to not even consider that there there could be something wrong with me and I should do something about it because I have never been taught what to do and how to do it, you know? I feel like there should be a whole ABA for just the Black community to get us out of this post-traumatic slave trauma that still perpetuates us to right. this day. You should read, um, I'm going a, I'm to a plug my friend here, Denisha Jingles. She just came out with a whole like Black liberation and utilizing um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm-hmm. And it came out in the special edition BAP series. Um, so you should, you should read that because she, t- that's, what she's all about is using ABA, using ABA to liberate Black people from the generational trauma and the current trauma that we're going through. Um, but I know Jamie and Trisha and Tiana, you guys all had something <laughs> stemming off of what Latoya was saying. <laughs> I was just saying, we all do such a great job of getting the stuff, getting ready that way. So you get the, the you spend a bajillion dollars in the Mamaru, so you get the mm at least me, you get the best pump, the best bassinet, the mm-hmm. best, you know, all the stuff, highly Tack rated that, stuff, nuggets. Du- yeah. All the stuff, the best carrier, the, all this, all this stuff. And then, but we don't do a good job of preparing ourselves mentally. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I know when I was a kid, like my grandma was a church lady and I remember <laughs> somebody was going to have a baby at church and all the old ladies would show up at this woman's house with casseroles and pies and all, you know, all the food to make sure she ate. And, you know, they would go over if they knew her well enough, you know, they'd go over and they'd hold the baby and take care of the baby while she got a nap and, and all of that. And like, I feel like it's, I feel like it's capitalism <laughs> where we've been, we've been taught like, oh, but you need the stuff. I'm like, I don't need the stuff. First of all, the kid could sleep literally in a box. Like they're, you don't care where they sleep. At least my kid. I, I have a pretty easy sleeper, I guess. Tiana yells at me every time. I'm like, oh, she takes a two-hour nap in the middle of the day. She's like, how? How does she do that? I'm like, I don't know if she came that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the kid could sleep, you know, in, in any flat, safe surface. They don't need the best of everything. Mm-hmm. But we we kind of, you know, and I my husband and I are here alone in Michigan. My, my parents live in Wyoming. His parents still live back in Ohio. We have no family. We had nobody who could help us. We were like hallucinating from lack of sleep. And what we really needed was just somebody to come over and take over the kid while we napped. And, you know, and I had had a C-section. I was a physical mess when I came home from the hospital. And the anxiety set in in the hospital. Like Chuck will, like my husband will say, like I remember watching all, I'm sorry, really emotional. Just watching all the light go out of your eyes. Oh. Like while you were sitting there holding her. And I hate that that's sort of the memory we have. It's what they're working through in, in therapy. But um, I came home from the hospital already in this state. Mm. Um, I didn't really understand postpartum anxiety. <laughs> so I didn't know what was wrong with me. And in my head, I'm like, this is avoidance behavior. I'm going to follow through with the demand. I'm just going to push myself. Can't ABA yourself. You know, I would never do that to a client, not in a million years, but I was going to do it to myself. 
you know, I would wake up every morning with a panic attack on deck. I would get up every morning and I would vomit a million times. And then when she would wake up, I would get up with her and I would do the whole thing. And I did it every day. And I was just making myself worse. Like I would never do that with a client, but I was going to do it to myself. But anyway, what I was saying was, I think it's all capitalism. I think the baby industrial complex <laughs> has us, you know, thinking that we need all this stuff. And what we really need is support. Like somebody could have come home and just put me to bed and taken care the baby you know like that's what I needed but like and then my mom um moved in with us for a little while and then she went I mean she literally like got the last flight out before they declared the pandemic um you know and it it just the support I think is is missing I think we've been talked out of the community we used to have yeah um like if you ever watch just watch like an old tv show and the woman will need to leave. And she's like, I'll just drop the kids off with the neighbor. Or like on Mad Men, um, Betty's always dropping the kids off with Francine and then going to do her thing. And like, I don't have anyone I can dump my kid off with. That's and not because, just because of COVID. That's but, because we've been worked out of it. We've been worked out of it. Mm-hmm. I tell my, I talk to my grandmother about that all the time. We have been worked out of our sense of community. It used to be a point where only really one person needed to work for the life to survive. Mm-hmm. And also not only being worked out, we've had closer generation gaps. Um, and so now mm-hmm. grandma used to be 70. Now mm-hmm. grandma is 50. And yeah. so grandma got to have a life too, honey. Cause she 50. Yeah. yeah. My mother-in-law doesn't retire yet, you know, and normally not retired. Just... And then the retirement age has increased, making people even more worked out of the concept of being present in the community. And so then we go and have these kids. And that was the, what you're saying is so valid that even within the black community, when people had kids, the community came over, they all took care of everybody. You know, like you had all these people in your house, cooking, cleaning, bringing food, you know, really giving you that break. Now they all at work. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. Like all my friends were at work. There's, they couldn't stop in the middle of the day, you know, and then they come home, they've got their own kids to take care of. And mm-hmm. yeah, we lost our I mean, tribe. There's not, we did. We did. We did. Capitalism, all of it. You have to have two people working in order to be able to afford the house and the bills and yeah, and we just don't you don't have, you know, all the all the moms home during the day. They don't even have soap operas on TV anymore. Like not as many. Yeah. I mean, like, I the remember right still comes on. That's yeah, the still comes on. I see it every once in a but while. You know what? Our soap operas are now like talk shows because I mm. love watching the real honey. Dramatic. <laughs> we, dramatic. Um, Tiana and Trisha have been trying to make sure we hear what you guys have to say as well. I had my daughter literally pandemic. Every appointment that I had um, before having my daughter, I couldn't go with my spouse like it was just traumatic to not be able to share those moments then we have going into labor which honestly I did not think that the day that I went into labor I was going to be leaving out with a baby didn't realize I was in labor I'm just like you know it's a little a little funny oh wait (laughs) this hurts what's happening here probably not even probably five hours after I went to the hospital there she is and I was just talking to my mom yesterday and telling her like 
I don't remember the, the, the physicality of what, like giving birth. I don't remember any of those pieces. Like, I don't remember feeling it. I just, hey, she's here. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had to stay in the hospital for three days. Um, it was two mandatory, just based on the care. Um, and then that additional one was because here in Texas, or at least with the doctor that I was seeing, the the typical 10% weight loss that doctors and hospitals allow, they were not happy with that. Like she lost 8% of her, her birth weight and like she needs to gain or you're supplementing. And I'm like, I'm not supplementing. So whatever we have to do, you know, we're, we're going to be here until she's where you guys need her to be. Um, so eventually, you know, I went through all the, the necessary blocks in order to get discharged and for the first 12 days I did not sleep like I may have been lucky if I got just each day a total of three hours not three hours straight a total of three hours for within a 24-hour period I was I I struggled with that a lot um with not being able to sleep literally she's sleeping peacefully and I just my grandmother would like kind of laugh but I'm just staring at her Mm. literally just staring at her Mm. she is asleep she is fine nothing was wrong I'm just like I'm watching her breathe like (laughs) I I couldn't do I wanted to sleep I would cry because I was so tired but I couldn't sleep like I just physically my eyes would just be like you gotta watch her you have like you something's gonna happen something's gonna be wrong and that was hard um, had to change some sleeping arrangements. I did start co-sleeping. For that, we worked opposing. Like, he works third shift. So if it was me in the bed, it was just me and her in the bed. So it was very easy to, like, do all the safe practices. That's, that's not real sleep. But <laughs> it's, it's some sleep, but it's not real sleep, to be honest. Then my journey, we go to return to work, right? Now, prior to having baby girl workhorse like you could not tell me that you know I wasn't gonna like get xyz done I am doing everything that I need to be making sure like working with trying to work with Adrian and make sure we you know we're up on the board as as much as possible trying to do all these different things and then the reality of it just really hit like I have to work I'm doing all these other things and as many of you like as all of you have seen I need to be a mom. I need that. Like, she is my priority. Latoya, you went into talking about like advocating for yourself and how we're conditioned to not and how it is more, tends to be more punishing when we do those things. Mm-hmm. I realized what I needed um, when I returned to work. I communicated that to my supervisor, like very pointedly said, this is what I need. This is what I have available I am not comfortable with doing X, Y, Z. Um, We are also in the midst of a pandemic, so I'm really not comfortable with doing these additional things. Here is like, let's figure out what we can do. Okay, just let me know what you need. Did you not just hear me? I'm telling you right now, we need to talk about what I need. And one thing is to lower this caseload. Like I had a, I had a client the who the parent was a very very you know you know we have we label parents as high needs and she was advocating for her child I understand that respected it but she was also a little nasty 
and very entitled. And she, out of all of the parents that I think anybody could have, she was the one who's like, everyone has to be at my house. Our company is in a telehealth model. I just returned. She was three and a half months. You have your nanny, your spouse, your two children, two of your children are receiving services. So then they're also, you know, having their staff and they have multiple staffs. And then your, your third child is also like, has her their own things going on. So there's a lot of people in and out the house. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable. And my supervisor, well, you're a BCBA and this is your job and this is what you should be doing. That is, this is your primary, like this is your responsibility. And I told her, I said, you know, I love doing what I do. I love working with, I, I love working with the families. I love ABA. But what we're not going to say is that this is my, should be my number one priority. My child is my number one priority. Me being able to be present for her is my priority. I will then accept and handle the responsibilities of being a BCBA and a working woman, a working mom. But my child does not come second to any of that. I said it as respectfully and, you know, professionally, but, you know, if you know me, you know that when I get frustrated or passionate about things, like, my tone can be perceived different. Like, it can be, be perceived if I'm telling you something that you don't want to hear. And she didn't want to hear that. She didn't want to support it. And I'm just like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you because these are my boundaries. And from that moment on, it became, like, pulling teeth until, the, until I really realized, like, you're a woman going through your own struggles already. You don't know how to interact with me as an individual, as a black individual and as a mom, because you also don't have children to understand what this dynamic is. Mm. And for you to say, oh, just let me know what you need, but not follow through. I'm like, eh, like this doesn't make sense. I'm explicitly verbally without any confusion telling you exactly what is necessary and you're not allowing those things. So working with her became very um, aversive for me. Um, it became very, like anytime she would contact me, it'd be frustrated because I'm like, what, what do you want? You know, you're not advocating, you're not listening, you're not empathizing. What, what could you, what, what is it? Like, leave me alone, you know, send an email, don't call me. Um, it, it became an overload and that started to really seep into just like my day-to-day. I eventually put Danielle in daycare, hard moment. It was really, I, I, it was bad for me. It was a hard realization to have to do because I just wanted to love her and I wanted my eyes on her and I wanted to be able like, to be present and be there and to not be able to do that was a struggle. So much so I made sure I had chose a daycare that had cameras that kept up with messaging the first two weeks she was in daycare, while I'm supposed to be working, I got my work on my on my on my laptop. I got my iPad up with on the app to watch the cameras, and every time something I'm messaging, hey, I noticed this. Hey, this is this, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like the daycare will get frustrated because they're like, she's okay. I'm like, but I mean, I get it. You think she's okay, but also just validate my concerns as a first time mom who's just sent her child to daycare and. Luckily, that transition ended up going well. Danielle is so social. <laughs> like, she loves people. But it, it took a lot to get 
And it's still taking some time for me to get to the point of understanding what I need to be able to work and to, you know, have my schedule and do all of these things because the the changes, the dynamic, the way that society puts it for women, you have, you have the child six weeks, if you're lucky, three months, if you're really lucky, that's what you get off. And once you're off and you're, you're, Time is up, it's return to work, and you're a workhorse again. There is the expectation is you're going to immediately jump right back into it and be okay with it. And if you complain about it, then that's on you. Maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this isn't what you are. You sure you want to work? And it's just like, no, I'm positive I want to work, but also you need to be understanding as to what has happened. You know, people who have not yet had a child, men. They don't understand the changes that internally that occur. And so then when you're trying to be present, it's just like, this is a battle. This is really difficult. But what do I do? Because no, you're not, no one's under really understanding. So what happens now? I was so, trying to ex- describe what it feels like. And I, I'm like, I literally feel like I have a, a rope tied around my heart and it's just pulling all the time. Like I'm supposed to be watching the session and training a tech and like helping them, you know, understand this program I wrote. And the whole time I've got like that, that tug. And for me, the, the tug got too hard, but I was lucky in that. I guess one of the nice things about having a kid when you're old is that um, while they just constantly make fun of you for being geriatric, um, well, I guess it's not making fun. I guess it's a clinical diagnosis that the doctor gives you, but they just bring it up all the time. Um, my husband, I, you know, being a VCBA was my second career. So all our student loans are paid off. Um, we have no credit card debt anymore. You know, all we had was like my husband's car still being paid off. We have our mortgage and like utilities and stuff. So I had a choice and I, I can't even imagine if I didn't, if I didn't have the second earner at home. I mean, we didn't even have to like, I mean, change anything really financially because we just don't have you know, all those bills are, are done. They're paid for. And I don't, I don't even know what, in, in that same position, I don't know. I don't know. I barely sitting in front of you, like a more worried frazzled mess. I think one of the things that really should be taken into consideration as a society, we have made it to an evolution point when we talk about the family construct um, and the dynamics of what the house should be. However, the only thing that hasn't evolved is what it looks like to be a mother in that role. In fact, um, due to the, the lack of the evolution within that role, it's why we're having so many cases of postpartum and anti-antipartum, depression, anxiety, OCD, all of these mental health things, because you just you don't realize how much it, it feels like you're giving up something. You know, the process feels like it's a give up and, and no one tells you about it. No one prepares you about it. And the world doesn't care how you feel about it. And so all you can do is internalize that because that's the safest space to have that, that dialogue with yourself because everyone else, you feel like they're judging you. When I returned to my clinic, so I had my daughter, I, I, I haven't really given a lot of information, but I had my daughter in 2019, July, 2019. Um, and I did like a six months or I, I did a little sabbatical. Like I didn't go back to work until the end of October, mainly because I was in a blessed position. And I was so happy to be in that blessed position to where like the income was what I desired, but not what we needed. 
and we had been real good financial stewards over our, our finances to be able to just just chill out for a little bit. But I wanted to, you know, we talked about that loss earlier. I needed to get back in there. I had to reclaim who I was. And so I returned part time three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And just the return to work itself was exhausting. I mean, just the concept, because I spent postpartum, got my medication together. So from the middle of August to the end of October, I created this world with my daughter where we were going to Jamboree every day and we had our like TV show agenda set up. We'd wake up and watch The Price is Right in the Real. You know what I'm saying? We go, we were just doing things. And then I had to return back to this space. And it's just like, how do I still give her this? I love that time with her and still be able to do what I want to do. And the world does not know what that looks like for women. And we're fighting to like carve out what that looks like so that we have less cases of this. Yeah. yeah. So Ashley and, and Trisha, um, the questions that I have for you is number one, we've all kind of talked about how society has not evolved, like you were saying, LaToya, um, in understanding all of these things. And Jamie, you said all people see is women walking away from a job, but don't see the why and the the constant, the tug, the emotional in between. Um, so Trisha and Ashley, A, do you feel like society could do better? And then B, what are some solutions or suggestions as a field that we could be better in understanding working parents. And I and I say parents because, you know, I'm I'm all about, I, I talk about Nicholas all the time. And me and Nicholas talk about like, listen, like he wants to be a dad <laughs> now. And I am still very focused on my career. And I'm like, okay, well, if you get me pregnant, like I'm gonna be that like hands-off mom now. Probably not after this conversation. I need to like rethink parenting. But Ashley and Trisha, like, how can we do better as an industry, as as women, as parents? Um, how can men support women? How can men support other men? Because we haven't even brought fathers into this conversation and what emotional situations they can go through with with being a dad as well. Trisha, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I think we can do better with just giving an out, you know, if you need it, having an out, I think is always, is always important. And maybe what that out looks like is that if you need that to take that time, then take it. You have a job when you come back. So you're just, Mm. I think um, I I had experience with that same supervisor that Tiana was talking about. And, um, and I am going to tell the story and it's very vulnerable, but uh, I think it's important because it's it's all about being a mom. Um, I I was very stressed in the in a, a role as a BCBA. I um, was separated from my husband, so now I'm a newly single parent, and my job was horrible. They were asking me to drive two hours away to a case, and they didn't tr- trust my clinical judgment. I felt like somebody was making me making me forcing me to do something I didn't want to do. The same supervisor was not. Um, understanding it all. We, and I had a lot, there were a lot of variables that went into this. I, I would say that the work or lack of work-life balance, being a BCBA and working for a job that did not understand that even if my child was two years old and four years old, I'm, I could still be going through postpartum depression 
I can still be going through postpartum anxiety. It does not matter that they're not an infant anymore. I'm now I'm going through that plus um, you making me drive this far away from them twice a week. And now you making me do all these things. And I'm, and I was trying to advocate for myself and, and everyone has their own story, but like in, in my case, I felt like I was finally saying no and no one was listening and I didn't have an out. So mm. in this case, my supervisor, that same person that made Tiana feel that way, um, didn't accept my no. I told her, no, I can't do it. She didn't accept it. And I, and then it, all, all, everything crumbled. The next morning I woke up and I went to my kid's daycare where the dad had dropped them off. And I said goodbye to my kids for the last time. I knew I was never going to see them again. I said goodbye to my kids. I went home, got every single psychotropic med I've ever been prescribed and not taken, took all of them and started driving. And just so happened the last moment, moment I realized that I had hurt someone on the road and I pulled over to the side. Just so happened that there was a police officer there. And that's all I remember. I woke up in the days later in the ICU and um, I was a Jane Doe. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't have any idea on me. And my ki- I hadn't picked up my kids from daycare like I was supposed to. All of that because I didn't have an out. I was scared. I felt like I didn't have an out and I felt like I couldn't, can't do this anymore, but what else can I do? Like I, I just, um, and my kids almost lost their mom. So, sorry. Uh, what I think that we can do better is um, tell moms like, it, it's okay. This is a life-changing moment for you for years, not even just for the first six months or the first year. It's a life-changing situation. Whether you have a partner, whether you don't, even if you're married and, and you're blessed and you have your credit is good and all these things happening, you does that that none of that even matters. It's hard for everybody. It's hard for all of us. And um, what's most important, like Danielle said earlier, is that our kids are our first ministry. We have to remember that. So every day when I wake up today, I have to say, like, I, even when I do feel like that, I'm, and I'm, I am in, in a moment right now in life where I don't know if I can stay in this field, I have to say, what well, I have to keep put, putting my best foot forward for these kids. I can't do that to them again. I can't, I can't, I can't go through that again. I can't put my kids through that. But I felt like I didn't have an out. And so if someone would have told me or reassured me, like, hey, you you don't seem okay. This is, seems like it's really getting to you. It's okay. If you have to quit this job, quit this field, quit whatever, you have to be there for yourself and your kids first. They are important. They matter. Their lives matter. Imagine what this would do to them. What are you teaching them? And things like that. And, and men can do better with, with that as well. And understanding that my ex-husband did not understand what I was going through. He, he whispered in my ear, you're never going to be happy. And, and I can't forget those words. I thought that, and I took it as truth. He didn't understand how, what being, becoming a parent did to me. And um, altogether, I mean, I, I just, I think the workforce, not even just the field of ABA, but the workforce can be more understanding to parents, not even just moms. And like you said, we haven't talked about the fathers. A lot of dads go through some of the same things that we're talking about. But we just feel like we we have no other choice. I, I When that supervisor told me I still had to do it and I had told her no, 
I was like, I can't, I just told her I can't. Now that when I was driving after I'd taken all those drugs, um, all the, the words going through my mind were, I can't, I can't, I can't. I told her I can't and I can't do it. So I just think that people should just listen. When Tiana says, I, these are the things that I need, listen. When a mom says, like, I'm sorry, I need two more weeks of leave, listen. Like, it's the truth. They're telling you what they need. That we, We're trying to teach these autistic kids how to advocate for themselves. Like, we need to listen. People need to listen. Shay, I thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I, I know, you know, we've shared in this space on Shade's kind of SI and active and passive kind of SI. And um, thank you for being vulnerable. I also want to thank you, Tiana, for... Um, I know you had asked me specifically, like, how do you advocate, right? And I'm hearing that you try to advocate and you say that you try to advocate. And I think it is vital um, that when we're talking about these things, that it's not just us that's like, yeah, like we're learning these skills, but that people on the receiving end are actually listening. And I think you tacted so well, like desperation comes out of not having choices and options in and out, like you said, and, and you tacked it that brilliantly, Shay. I think us leading with grace and compassion, right? This is like kind of how I'm leading um, my charge and the way that I'm interacting with people because I wasn't always given an out or and was reduced to thinking this is the only solution. And um, it's unhealthy. And I think this cultural again, the stigma, the cultural kind of expectation that we have of like moms who do it all. And if you can't like have a firm body and if you can't, you know, be the boss of an organization and if you can't like take care of your children and have sex with your husbands and cook amazing meals and like any sort of, and this is like, I'm getting so like worked up and any, if we can't fit into all of these different categories, um, then it deeply, then we internalize that and say, well, there must be something wrong. And I think that that is damaging. And why I appreciate these discussions is because it's, it's like, if you had to bottle feed, your child for whatever reason, you don't have to justify the choice that you made so that you're okay. Do that and stop shaming other women for co-sleeping or for ordering like meal delivery services or right. Whatever it is like that is getting us to be okay at the end of the day. And I so appreciate these conversations. Um, because it breaks down some of those expectations that I think we hold for each other as a society, as women, as mothers, even within our own community of motherhood. And so thank you for sharing that because I think this is why it's so important to break those stigmas and, and have these discussions. Ashley, do you want to share? Um, yeah. Ooh. Heart tug, Jamie, that rope. <laughs> um, I mean, just listening to everyone, everyone, everyone's experiences are different. And I know for a fact, you know, when I hear these things like that is true and that is fact. And it just it makes me have to humbly just be thankful of the experience that I that I've had just because um, 
I really don't. I don't know what I would be if I had a different one. You know, like everyone's emotions that they're sharing are things that I know for a fact. Like I've almost gotten to those points, but you know, I get to those points and I can make a post on Facebook or Instagram. Like I'm, I'm tired, and you know, I've got my mom or my my best friend. Like you want me to come get Nas? You know, like and that is something that is needed. And so, when you ask the original question of what can society do or the workforce do? I feel like there needs to be more help without having to ask. And when I say that, it's like, and not just help for those who are less fortunate because I'm blessed to be fortunate, but I'm not rich, you know? And so it's like, even things like I can't even go to the gym because I'm I'm like, I wish I had a gym that had a daycare so that when I get off work at seven and pick up Nas and feed them, I can go to the daycare at night. But I can't go to the gym. And it's like, you know, like that's something that it's like being a single mom where it's like, yes, I have these people who I can ask, but you want to save your resources for when you really, really need them. So it's like, I'm not going to call someone up and say, hey, can you watch my kid every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday while I go to the gym for two hours? I'm not going to do that. So it's like even things like gyms, like I feel like there needs to be more places for people with kids and not just like, like, you know, yeah, you have governmental services support, but those are mostly for people who may not have jobs. What about those who do have jobs? Just they're the only parent in the home or they have a really good job, but they get off work too late. Like, like, and one thing that I feel like, um, I always think like, why are there not a lot of single moms in this field? And I think about it, it's like, it's almost impossible. Like I've had times in the last year to where it's like, I don't know how long I can be in my job because for example, like, yeah, my son goes to a school where they have latchkey till 630. But there's, for instance, now with the pandemic, there's some schools. So if he was in regular school, there wouldn't be any latchkey. And, you know, if I, you know, and so it's like, why doesn't, places with ABA have like, we have all these therapists, let's pay them less and use them for our moms who need daycare. (laughs) Like, you know, I want you to be here all day. I want you to be here all, you know, from the morning to the evening. So, you know, and those are resources that it's like, I don't think they understand because they're not a, well, there's not a lot of people like everybody is advocating for those extra needs. Um, But I feel like it isn't until someone really personally decides to connect with you that they care. And so it's like the reason that I've had my doubts of how long I can maintain in this field is just because of what I know is expected. Like it's not, I I mean, it's ideal, but it's probably not possible that they I can go somewhere and get paid the amount of money I need to pay to sustain me and my single parent home and be able to get off work at 3.30 how, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, if, if companies were to where they're like, you know, okay, we got these 10 single moms, we're going to make sure their caseloads are here, but is that really going to happen? No. But then also, you know, I don't have a daycare for these moms to bring their kids to. And so, um, I, I say I'm thankful and I'm grateful because, um, my company has a lot of clinics and there are not a lot of clinics in my company that I think I could survive. I honestly think I could probably only survive at my clinic. Um, when I went to my clinic, it was only three of us there. And so my clinical director now was actually a BCBA who we both came there at the same time. We both went to, we both passed our exam at the same time. We got to our clinic at the same time. And it was just kind of us working under someone else. So she was kind of my venting partner. Like I would tell her like all the struggles it was to get Nas or pick him up or what I had to do with that thing. So now that she's my boss, and I start to like see things. I see that I am the only person out of five other people who only has one kid after six. And I used to feel bad for that. Like I used to feel like, oh my God, they're going to hate me or they're going to think 
I'm a slacker. But then I start thinking like, I'm also the only person here with kids. And I, and I know that because my clinical director knows that she will personally call me and say like, Hey, does this work for you? I know you have not. And that's something that I don't think is the norm. And I, that's something that I don't think is like something that people think that they should do. But I don't think she, I don't, she has no idea how much I need that to stay. And it's like, because I feel valued, I think she knows, like, if I don't help her where she needs to be helped, she can't stay. And that's an understanding that I feel like a lot of companies and people just don't have because, again, hey, maybe BCBAs are like nurses, you know, they're dishing them out and they're just like, okay, well, you can't roll where I'm rocking and let me get somebody else. But it's like, if you are not in the place you like, that's going to support you, I don't see it being a very something that can be sustained for a long time, depending on your situation. So just like more help without having to ask for help, because it's hard to ask for help when you feel like you're in the minority or you're going to be an inconvenience or you're going to be a burden to have to get off work early because something happened with your kid. But it's like that, that stigma of your kid being a burden because everyone else doesn't have one. Like it's, it's got to somehow change so that we don't feel like we're a burden because we have a kid. So, yeah. And so Tiana, um, you kind of talked about like the supervisor and um, not getting the support and things like that and kind of listening to what these women are saying and getting the advocacy and things like that. Where are you, where are you now um, with baby gap, Danny, we call her baby gap. I always say that she needs to be in a gap kids model because she's so darn beautiful. She really should model. She's adorable. She really should. She really should. And I hope that she thinks I love her with no hair. Like she is just so beautiful with no hair. And I am, I will be that auntie that is like, whatever you want to do. However, if she decided she wanted to stay bald for the rest of her life, I would also be okay with that. (laughs) Well, right now we don't have a choice of the whole hair thing but I I did tell my mom I'm like she looked really weird with hair like it's gonna be really really weird seeing her with hair because she is just like brown face big cheeks fade <laughs> absolutely adorable but um so to answer the question as far as like where am I at I am on my last day with that supervisor was Friday so <laughs> so we're there um also I'm that makes me I, so happy wait is that because we got a new job or that because we got the supervisor fired or I'm, I'm leaving I'm leaving um I I did try to I'm not trying to say that I was trying to get her fired but I was trying to communicate how her behavior and how her supervisor's behavior did not make me feel comfortable having any more you know conversation so I tried to rope in HR and in my communication I stated like I would prefer to not have to also talk to her supervisor because I don't feel like there is any objectivity and um they still roped her in and I'm just like but um I am at an absolute relief that that is on on the horizon I love her daycare so since we bought a house and moved Um, I transferred her to a different daycare. Um, I love it. I love that they they don't look at me like you're that parent. Yes, I'm that parent. Like, that's my child, you know? (laughs) I birthed her. So, yes, I I, I look at the cameras. Yes, I have questions. Yes, I have this and that. And 
Um, and I was so comfortable with her teacher that I was able to have some transparency with her about my experience at one of, at her previous location. Um, I am coming into some kind of acceptance of this, what my new normal is. And it's, and it's taken me a while because with really trying to advocate and be professional and not be looked at, oh, you're just some angry Black woman and you should just hear this and blah, blah, blah. Um, and be professional and be courteous and going through those transitions um, and knowing and realizing how hard it was and not being able to be supported by my supervisor and with the company that I, that I'm going to no longer be associated with. Um, it, it was hard. It makes me, um, it's getting, it's getting better. We're, we're better, but you know, accepting the change and the dynamic was extremely difficult. But now that I've gotten to that point, it's, we're moving, we're rocking, we're rolling. You know, we have, I, I've accepted that she has to be in daycare because that's just how the dynamic of this household works. When it's time to pick her up, don't ask me to do anything. I do not play. I'm not answering a phone. I'm not responding to an email. I gotta go. Like, I, I can't because from the time that I pick her up until she falls asleep, it's me and her. On weekends, it's me. Like it's it's our time because it is very important to me to be present. It is very important to me to be active and to to watch the that growth. So working in a field where you tip where you're working with children who have have a diagnosis and have challenges learning these skills, it is interesting. Just also be like this. It's interesting to also be able to see the other end of the child developing and growth and to have had experiences where parents don't want to be involved with like with their kids for me I'm like how could you not like I I need that like I, I need it I need to be able to like to be there with her and I, I know and I understand this is still going to be like some challenges with this whole like motherhood thing because it is a slap in the face like you literally don't know what's happening until it truck right in the nose okay you don't so you know we've had these discussions about like how and Ashley you were you wrote it out like you know you would never say oh you need to be a mother like society makes these the motherhood like the end all golden be all and it's just like you can't make that the like the the golden standard if you're not providing women with these supports you cannot sit like jobs you cannot say oh my god you know I can't wait to be a mom. I want to have a baby. And babies are so cute. And oh my God, let me get, but like also the, the job is not providing those mental health check-ins. They're not, they barely want to give you any time off. And if you get time off, it's not paid. So then you're not getting paid. So then it forces you like, I got to get back to work depending on like what your, what your standard of living is. Like I got to get back to work to be able to maintain these additional things. But then you're at the risk of not seeing your child all day. There, there are no supports. Like, previously worked for a company, and the owner, she was a woman after my heart. I'm not gonna like, I, I loved her uh, because she was a very driven woman. She was a mother. She understood that dynamic. When she got pregnant, most actually no one else in the company had kids. Like everybody was just young RBTs, young BCBAs, you know, just living a dream. She ended up creating a, cl- a daycare within the clinic 
so that and while it benefited her, she was just like, who else is like, if you got, you know, if I'm hiring people that have that has a child, you have a place to go. Because it's also that importance of being able to check in on your child, like to physically like be like, oh, you're okay. Now let me go back to work. You know, you ask what is needed to listen and then make action. So like, don't just in one ear, you might process it a little bit and then it's done. Actually do something about it. Like have like create a, a plan that is not even compromised, but that is, cause it shouldn't, it shouldn't feel like we're compromising our, our motherhood to be like for our workload. It should be, this is the plan that's going to make you most successful in all aspects of your life. Companies brag, well, oh, we have great work, work-life balance, but really you don't, you know, really create work-life balance. And, and that starts with communicating with the people that you're hiring. And when they're hired in, continue that communication because people don't, like, lives change. So having that communication be continual and having continual continual actions with it is essential. People, people got shit, you know? And I just wanted to add, don't use on-site daycare as a reason to keep people living at work. Ooh. That. That. I'm I'm not going to sign a contract. My kid goes to your daycare. Don't let me sign a Right. Yeah. (laughs) I I know people who have, like, oh, we've got, um, we have a dog walking service and we have free food and we have this, because they don't want you to leave work. Don't use it for that. <laughs> like I have a life. Y'all did not buy my soul. You brought me from right? eight to five, friends. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing too. I wanted to add on to that. And as I start, as I am growing my personal company, it is one of the hallmarks that I want to like really make is that life balance matters. You know, um, because I'm a parent now, right? And I've had like really bad work-life balances experiences with the companies I've been at in the past. So um, I want to make sure my people are happy. Like I'm really thinking of different little techniques. I haven't rolled them all out yet because my staff aren't as big. But once I open my clinic, I only want my clinic to be open four days a week, Monday through Thursday. And I don't really know if I'm gonna be able to pull it off and be able to give people the salary they want for that. But I feel like if you have happy people at work, they're going to completely do their job at a higher capacity. And because we're doing less days of the week, um, you have less time to lollygag and you need to turn yourself in on Friday. I mean, on Thursday, you know what I'm saying? So the, the time is more taken in consideration when you work, you work and you got three day weekends, you know, and, and then also just thinking of different things. Like my ultimate goal is not to make all the money in the ABA world but to create a clinical experience that people can live off. And cause that's the part, like our therapists can't live off these wages. We're talking about people who have master's degrees. I say that and I emphasize that because I had a master's degree, okay? And I wanted some respect on that, okay? I may not be this, you know, freshman in college. We all, we pay RBTs like they're freshmen in college. These are grown women, men who have families. Um, Some people don't want to become a BCBA. So why aren't we putting them in position to have a working wage? I'm not trying to pay you, you know, I am not saying I'm going to be throwing out the coins at my company, but my ultimate goal is to give a livable, sustainable wage. 
Um, so we'll see what that looks like. Cause you know, insurance playing these games. I have to go get my you know, and I, I want to make time. sure we 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 end on some positivity because we have been on for a little over two hours, guys, and we could go on. It's been wonderful, right? And I hope this has been a healing space, a therapeutic space, a very safe and vulnerable space for you guys, um, and whatever is needed. But I I want to also hear the. The joy about the kids, you know, we talked about baby Danny's cheeks and, and bald head. Um, can we all go around and say one positive thing um, about their child or um, about you guys as a mother, about you as a person in this current space? Um, it doesn't have to be about your kid. It's not always about your kid, you know, but whatever you guys want to say. Um, and Ashley, do you want to go first? One thing positive, it's really good to know that you have like all the skills to like teach your kid whatever they need to know and you don't got to use them all the time, but you have those skills. And so um, that's probably like something really positive. Like I feel very in control of my capabilities of what I want my son. And I mean, I ABA myself, I used to ABA my dog. So it's like, I love having the skill of to be able to change anything I want to change. So that's great. Very tiresome, but it's great to be a mom in ABA. <laughs> you got the skills. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I just put in the chat because um, I know our audience can't see the chat, but part two of talking about BCBA mom parenting styles and what that looks like. We're up for it. We're up for it. So wait for that invitation. Um, Trisha, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to say that I have the two dopest kids alive. I know y'all's kids are dope too, but like mine are just the dopest best children on the planet um they are so funny they I mean they just so much joy I'm so grateful to still be here with them every day and and um they are the reason I open my eyes in the morning I love them to death so yes I'm so grateful to be a mom it's the best job so beautiful Trisha thank you and Miss Jamie we just had our baby come in um yeah this is lizzie she just woke up for a minute that was why her hair looks crazy (laughs) um and she's like obsessed with wires um the best thing she's just great like just i don't know i'm just every day what like watching it's a lot of the same things i love about being a bcba just watching a kid grow and learn and like that moment that clicks you know and she's learning so much so fast and like changes every day and I just I love it um yeah and even though it was really hard in the beginning with uh the postpartum postpartum mental health issues every minute since then has been worth it even though it is the hardest job I've ever had in that you get like so much love but then like heartache a little bit too sometimes I don't know man it's just it's a it's whiplash just back and forth all the time but I grown in ways I never knew I don't know man if you want to do it I think it's it's pretty amazing (gasps) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Latoya I'm in the same space my little monster just woke up um she was screaming when I don't know if you guys could hear and the last time I was speaking so I was like let me go get her let me hang this up 
Um, no, I, I will I will definitely bring some positivity. And I think the I want to make it very clear. The only reason it sounds so negative is because you've never heard it before. Right. It's not that this is and not. Don't apologize. Don't yeah. Apologize. Don't no, no, no. I'm not apologizing for it. I just want to. I'm saying like it's this. This could all sound dark to someone who's never had a child or thought of parenting. But it's only because we're working. I feel like this is a form of desensitization. Uh, this kind of just convert this dialogue. Um, so on a positive note, I love my little monster. Okay, I may complain about her. But she literally is my shadow. It doesn't matter what's going on, what is happening. She wants to be underneath me. And though it was a, a crash kind of traumatic experience becoming a parent, I am definitely a better person because of it. And you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. Talk about resiliency. It just takes you to a whole nother level. Um, and then you just, just the person that I am, like, I did not know I had the ability to be this type of warrior woman, if that makes any sense. So my, being a mom gives you your warrior badges. Um, these are just the scars. I feel like we were talking about that it took to get those warrior badges, but it, it the, when you get them, you feel like a decorated general, like I take on anything. So mothering has its own, uh, concerns, but I like it. Awesome, awesome. And of course, last but not least, Miss Danielle and our faves. Can you say hi, Scotty? Hi, Scotty. You're acting real shy right now. Okay, okay. It's okay. She generally is. Um, but she heard that baby Danny was making uh, an appearance, and baby Danny is infamous in our house, and so she wanted to, to see her. So, yeah, I think. For me, um, where I didn't necessarily choose to become a mother as a teenager, and I didn't necessarily choose ABA, it happened simultaneously for me. And so I was constantly feeling like I had to choose. Um, and then being a single mother uh, and with my first daughter, um, it was very challenging. But I think because I set this expectation early, on that I was able to navigate those spaces, uh, giving zero flips, zero Fs. Um, so it, it kind of just natu naturally happened. I think with Skylar and the pregnancy and the mental health issues that came up, uh, not that I didn't experience them before, but just in a different way and having to navigate both was really challenging for me, like we've discussed. But I think the thing is, is I'm thankful that I learned early on that, and this makes me emotional, that my children are my first ministry and I could not be effective for other people's children if I wasn't effective for my own. And I wasn't perfect and I made a lot of mistakes, but I am thankful that I have daughters who see me and understand me and allow me to make mistakes and allow me to repair some of the mistakes that I've made and offering me grace and forgiving me. And I've really had to learn to give grace to myself because I haven't had a map or an outline on how to be a good mom. I just knew that I wanted to be a better mom than I had. Um, and so me pouring everything that I know into my girls, um, 
have kind of benefited me in every other capacity that I serve in. And so I think that's what I've taken away from ABA and my trauma and kind of the lessons I've learned is that I only get one shot and that my girls only get one mom and that if I don't honor them, no one else is going to. And so that's kind of what I'm going to leave you with. And that is the perfect thing to leave off on. So we are going to wrap it up. And I just want to thank you all for coming on the show and for sharing. Um, And we we will be back next time. Definitely a part two. Definitely. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. You guys have an amazing rest of your Sunday. Bye. Bye. Bye.